If something's going to be meaningful, you have to have a clear understanding of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're going to do it. But also, if it's going to be meaningful to each employee, it needs to tie directly not only to your vision, but into their job description and what they're responsible for. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor Deep Dive. Martin, this episode is sponsored by 1907 Roofing. Uh, there's a lot of hail damage and tornadoes that have hit the area, so we're going to go ahead and give them a shout out. If you live in the OKC metro area and have damage to your house, please contact 1907 Roofing at 1907roofing.com. That's kind of a joke. I'm, they're my friends. Uh, but we had some some storms last night. Yeah, what what happened? I heard there a lot of people were all worked up last night. Just a little bit. What was going on? I was explaining to people that aren't from Oklahoma recently, uh, this morning actually, that there's really like, like there's no notice really that there's going to be storms. I had no idea there were going to be storms last night until about right. 5 o'clock. You can you, – Sometimes you can tell, you know, the weather is muggy and it's 90 degrees and it, there's just this feel that, oops. But, man, I did not expect I didn't, I, any of that last I night. was outside coaching a soccer practice at 530 yesterday, and then it was like, oh, we, we need to go, like, get home. <laughs> and then right. 630, there's, like, tornadoes on the ground. So, uh, right. yeah, I think uh, I think hail, I think the tornadoes did some damage in rural areas of Oklahoma primarily, but the hail did a lot of damage in more of the cities and neighborhoods. Yeah. That's we, uh, if you're not from Oklahoma, this is the epicenter of weather, uh, national weather services here. If if you want to be a weatherman, come to Oklahoma, uh, whether researcher or on TV, you want to get into the university of Oklahoma. And the reason for that is three weeks ago, a tornado went through where they're struck by Hitachi. You know where yeah. that is, Glenn, our listeners don't. But that's less than a mile from the National Weather Center's uh, headquarters there on the campus. Yeah. And the one last night went right over. So. Well, and I think you yeah, also get four this seasons. This is a place to be if you want. Four seasons in a couple yeah. days usually. Um, I mean, it just changes yeah. constantly. What does John, uh, what does Will Rogers say about weather? Oh, yeah. If you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes yeah something yeah. like that that gets attributed to a lot of people but that was will rogers and he was talking about oklahoma yeah first one that i know of but last night um for people who aren't aware we have doppler radar nowadays uh, the first one of which is less than a mile from me the very first one that was developed here and it shows great detail so where we used to just hear sirens and hit the deck now you turn on the tv and they show you where the tornado is, and they give you street addresses. I remember in 2013, there was a tornado going through Oklahoma City, and the announcer said, if you're in that Long John Silver's restaurant at MacArthur and 31st, you need to be under the table. I mean, literally, if you're at this restaurant. Well, you know, well, last if, night, if, um, if that's you, I got bigger questions. Why are you at Long John Silver's? <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> that's the first question well, that's I have. True. Not get under the well, table. Well, one like. of the others, one of the others, going to get you. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine someplace else. But in Oklahoma, the storms traditionally travel from the southwest to the northeast. So when there, when there's pending weather, the thing I look at there's a town about 40 miles southwest of us called Chickasha, Oklahoma, and that's where the storms that come to us start. So. And then they move up, takes a couple hours to come through. Are they going to hit you or go north or south or whatever it is? But I kind of jokingly say this. If it's 45 miles southwest of me, I am on the TV, I'm on the radio, I'm on my apps. If it's a mile and a half northeast, I start changing the channel, look to see what's on TV. Yep. Right? Because they just, they do that. And I'm literally talking, if they're a mile or two northeast of us, other than I know people up there, I'm not interested, right? Yeah. Well, last night, this was very strange. A tornado wound up being about a half mile wide, and it killed some people and wiped out some little towns. Was coming, and it looked like it was going pretty much due east and would have gone about 25 miles south of us. 
and it got directly south of us, and you and I are close enough together that directly south is the same thing. Mm-hmm. And a guy's talking on TV, he goes, this thing's turning north. It's, it's headed due north. And all of a sudden, they had my interest, right? <laughs> and there's a casino out in the country, an Indian casino, and it's, you could see it from my house if it weren't for the trees. It's three miles, three and a half miles south. And it's headed right to this casino. Yeah. So it's shelter time for us. And I'm thinking, guys, it's getting close. And so we went over to get, uh, our neighbors have a shelter. We don't have one. So we went over there. And as I'm walking out the door, he goes, hey, it turned west. It's gone. Those were his exact words. It's gone. And we're going, oh, my God. You know? I don't use, I mean, I don't stress over it and lose sleep over it, but boy, I pay attention. Yeah. And that one got really three miles, and then he goes, it's gone. It's gone. Prayers work, my friend. Well, there's so many segues that we could find from this. You're talking about casinos and watching the TV and being willing to gamble that, ah, it's east of us, we're good. I'll change the channel and get back to watching Ted Lasso or whatever it is. But I think the more I literally did that last night. No, that was a, that was us too. I knew the episode came out. I knew you were watching. Um, <laughs> but I think also the metaphorical tornadoes that go through our businesses, especially when we're not yeah. organized, uh, is obviously one that we can talk about. With finally part three, we've been delayed like what two or three weeks on this. You were gone. Right. I was gone. I got COVID. Now we're back. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah excited to get part three on this just to give a recap to listeners uh if you have not listened to part one or two go and listen to that first if you have listened to part one and two you're like please don't go through a long recap of all this so i'm just going to name them uh well first sep have a really good vision a picture of where your company is when it's finished two have a mission how you're going to achieve that vision of your business three culture the way that your company needs to live act uh and be in order to fulfill the vision and mission of your company then create goals that are specific measurable attainable relevant and time-bound smart goals then create an org chart uh, that outlines the four areas of your business um, and then you know is is really a, a great picture of where your company is when it is fulfilling that vision and it is done or complete which is never and then six build out systems that fit the org chart and support the goals and the vision of the company. So now we're getting into the last three of the nine, seven uh, job descriptions, eight how-tos, and nine KPIs. So pretty detailed oriented when we get to some of these things and they're very important. Sometimes they sound a little bit easier than done and there does there's some infrastructure that you probably need in place to be able to get some of these things done. So really not great to start creating KPIs if you don't have a vision. Um, really not great right. to have KPIs without books in your business, if, right? So there's some yeah, precursors to all these yeah. things. But um, yeah, let's jump in. Let's let's start at step seven, uh, job descriptions. Okay. When, you know, obviously we've got our org chart in place so we know what roles we want to have in our company, but where do we start with job descriptions typically? Well, you start back at the org chart and the systems. right? Because if you'll recall, and if you haven't, go back and listen first, but when you've written your org chart according to the four functions of business and then the positions that you need in that, yeah, uh, such as a bookkeeper is a position under administrative and maybe a project manager is a, a function underneath operations, right? Yeah. So for the job manager, uh, when you're writing systems, the first step is to bullet point the things that you want. Yeah that position to do mm-hmm. right? without writing in paragraphs or getting all bloviating on expanding it. Just, hey, I want the guy to order material. I want the guy to do takeoffs. I don't know if that's a project manager mm-hmm. function everywhere, but I want the guy to uh, schedule every day, you know, have the next week produce a report for me of what's ordered, back ordered, what, whatever it is that you want the project manager to do, bullet pointed. Mm-hmm. And once you have that on your org chart, you are at least ready to start making job descriptions. And there are some legal requirements for job descriptions uh, that you need to get from an HR professional. There are things like you have to say, we don't discriminate. Uh, you know, uh, we have been trained in bloodborne pathogens and anti-discrimination. Uh, you need to be able to pick up 75 pounds. There are some boilerplate 
language like that that goes into a job description. But the meat of the job description is the functions mm -hmm. that you just wrote under that position <clears throat> on your org chart. Uh, and you bullet point them on the job. These are the things you'll be responsible for. <clears throat> and the clarity of that is a lot of people complain about the work effort that they get out of people. And, and I always say, well, before we take the mode out of log out of a mode out of somebody else's eye, let's take the log out of our own. <laughs> Did you ever tell them what you wanted them to do? Did you ever tell them how they would be measured? Did you ever tell them what to, you know, the expectations are of how well to do something? So you're starting with that in the job description by listing out the steps that that function, that position is going to have to do. Yeah. Uh, we're not at the point of explaining how to do it. We're just telling them these are the things that you need to do. And let me preempt a, something that I hear every time I talk about job descriptions. People say, well, I don't want job descriptions because people are going to come to me and say, that's not my job. Well, you can get around that with a sentence that is approved and it says, and other duties as required when requested. But you must tell them what you standard expect them to do. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, how, how are they supposed to know? Yeah. Read your mind, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's even, as you write the description, it really needs to be clear, and this goes even to your hiring process, but especially just on a regular review process that you do with an employee, when you have this job description, it needs to be very clear how this job affects the overall vision and mission of the company and how it ties directly into that. I think that's one thing that sometimes is really unclear for certain positions in your company because they're so focused on a specific function of the business or a specific area or department, they don't really get to see the bigger picture because, you know, maybe they're not on jobs day to day, they're working in the office, or maybe they never see numbers and they're just, you know, using a hammer every day. And if you can really tie it into that overall vision and mission from a, at the job level, you'll have better buy-in of the overall comp company vision. And then as you write your job description, try to include your values and intertwine them into the language of how everything's listed and make it clear that like this is how this job should be, you know, worked every single day to fit our company values. Um, that will get you much better buy-in overall. Then as you do company uh, or employee evaluations, quarterly reviews, annual reviews, whatever you decide to do as a company, there needs to be some sort of rating or at least conversation about each thing that's on the job description and that you can evaluate them on very clearly. And in fact, once you have your job descriptions, those job descriptions directly create your employee evaluations that you do. And that just makes it a lot easier for you to be able to measure, track, and improve, and grow as a company, but also at the employee level individually for each job. Right. And you did bring up a good point. <clears throat> the job description, the job has a name. The position has a name. Yeah. Like project manager. But below that ought to be a purpose. Absolutely. And I don't mean the high. My purpose is to make it easy for the people downstream of me to do their jobs. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, my role is just, you know, I have complete responsibility for the budget and the timing of the projects I'm on. And what, what, what do you really want out of that person? And it should be simply stated, but that they do understand that there's a purpose, all these specific things we're going to do in the bullet points in the job, but there is a purpose for them. And that, you know, there's nothing more important than a job than a great project manager yeah. to a contractor. You know, you you win the job, you're out looking for other things, and you hand it off to somebody, and it gets done on time, on budget, with delighted customers. Oh my God! Right? <laughs> yeah. That's, no, I, and that, I, that's not a unicorn, but that that that's a really great outcome. So yeah, that's one you can put that. That's on. one you want to keep around. I think if you just you know. If you look at a job description and you think about the life cycle of that job description, it's not really looked – I don't know that many employees that go back and look at their job description on a monthly basis, maybe even at all, right? Uh, probably good companies do review those things at you know their evaluations and those kinds of things as just a refresher. 
But typically, people are looking at a job description, probably if there's a performance evaluation where they might be getting fired, like, hey, you're not doing this, this, this. But typically, it's on the hiring and then on the promotion side. That's when this document gets pulled up and referenced and reviewed and looked at to be able to have a conversation during the application process, hiring process, interview process, whatever it is. So what I hear from a lot of business owners with job descriptions is they have a vague idea and say, we're going to, you know, as this person gets added to the team, we're going to write that job description and add to it and stuff like that. But the reality is it doesn't happen because that job description really needs to be in place before the hiring goes into play. And it really, you know, it's really getting reviewed the most when it's on the job board. That's whenever they, the people that you're looking to hire, all the applicants are really, really looking at it. And it should be different. They should, you should be looking at your job description more regularly and adding to it or removing and revising it. But that's the reality of it. It's, it's before someone's hired and maybe the week that they're hired and being onboarded that you're going through those things. And so you really have to make some time before you decide to hire for a position about what this role really is going to do. But you also have to use it as an opportunity to vet people, not just on skills, but on values. And a, a really great exercise that I like to do <clears throat> is take the you know standard uh, task that you put on or responsibility that you put on a uh, job description that is very clear and very formal sounding, and then dress it up a little bit and make it into like an actual action that you can really feel uh, so that when you read it, you can really diagnose whether that's me or not. And it really gives it a little bit more character. I'm going to read an example that we did for our sponsor for this episode, 1907 Roofing. But this is for a salesperson. Um, and uh, just going to read some examples of the expectations they set that they would put on a uh, uh, job post with their job description. And this isn't the full job description. There's much more detailed, but this is just a portion of that job description for expectations. We are available to the team, subcontractors, suppliers, and clients from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. We are responsive via calls, text messages, and emails. We never delay communication, even if there is bad news. We are active and involved on Slack. We share our wins, ask questions, offer support, and join team conversations daily. We wear 1907 roofing apparel. We have our hair fixed or wear a hat and make sure that our clothes are clean each workday. We close at least $30,000 a month in sales. We are always striving to exceed our own personal sales goals. We are problem solvers and solution finders. We don't make excuses or complain, but we find a way to get the job done the best way possible. We are avid prospectors who are eager to help. We are always ready to knock doors, make cold calls, and ask for referrals. We're continually adding high-value contacts to our CRM. We are committed to be the first call for insurance agents, realtors, and inspectors before and after storms. We are engaged and focused during meetings with the team, with clients, and with contacts. We avoid negative talk and address concerns or criticisms in private conversations with our managers. We are diligent about our records. We are thorough with company checklists and builder trend, their company software. All of our work is accurate and double-checked. Customers know us as the over-communicators. We follow up multiple times a week with existing customers to maintain strong relationships to be certain there are no misled assumptions. We are respectful of others' time. Whether it's an internal meeting or a client install, we show up when we say we would. We have open lines of communication with our managers. We are not afraid to share mistakes or offer constructive criticism. The field is our office. We're ready to be on the road and never shy away from, an, from new business opportunities. We're always learning. We continuously seek ways to improve our sales process and challenge ourselves professionally. So yes, those are expectations. They're not super formal, but they're written in a way that if I read that, I get a sense no, of what I'm going to be doing each day. And I think that's, that's where a lot of value, where you intertwine your values and you make it feel real in the job description, that's going to help on that hiring front a lot. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to... Um, a job description with bullet pointed duties is not an ad for Indeed. No. Right? Uh, I have a, an article on my website at anil.com, nilbc.com, and the title is Hiring During COVID because that's when I wrote it. Yeah. But it, it's for all time, and it's about that. Now, what you just read was excellent. It listed duties, but it set you apart. It made it sound as we, 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 personalities. Uh, gently spoken, 
not electrician must have his own tools. Electrician <laughs> must bill 30,000 a month. The electrician is expected to, you know, uh, and that's, so that, that was a caution I was gonna bring up and you just did it beautifully. Uh, when, when you're advertising for, when you've got an ad out looking for employees, go read my article, listen to what Khalil just said. You have to be different because yeah. things have changed a little bit, but for the last three or four years, they were interviewing you. You weren't interviewing them, yeah. right? They can go work. Matter of fact, still true of people like electricians. They can go. You can fire a guy for being drunk on the job at five o'clock. He can be at work at eight the next morning for somebody else if his hangover allows it. Yeah. I mean, they. they, they so it has to be something different. And that that was a great great job of that. And also go read that article because it really is two examples, actual examples. One from somebody looking for a journeyman electrician and another one from a former client of mine. And if you just read the two, which one would you click on? Nobody yeah, nobody even needs to think about which one they'd click on. And it's not the dry bones. Yeah. Salary range this to this. Must have, must have, must have, must well, have. Is expected. And I think that's part of the problem with a lot of uh, hiring these days is people are continuously thinking that, man, there's not good people out there anymore. Nobody wants to work, all this stuff. There aren't. Oh, there's not. There aren't. You can't find them, Martin. No. No, there, there are. They're not. And and we, we've talked about that several Nobody times. Nobody wants to work. You, we've talked about that several times on the podcast, but the reality is there definitely are people out there that want to work. But there are a majority of those people that do want to work. They also want to work in a environment that's meaningful and challenging and, right. you know, highlight to our episode and organized. They don't want to go in where they're just told exactly what to do and then left alone and they don't really have a lot of structure. They don't really have any challenges in front of them. They don't feel like there's any meaning in what they do. And so not only are you going to set yourself apart as a hire, especially as a contractor, when you do have a really clear job description and show that you're organized, but when you start to add the values and the vision of your business and your mission into the job descriptions that you post uh, and that you give to people that you're promoting within the company and all that stuff, it really does set you apart because it gives meaning to what the position is. And it gives people a vision for what they can do in that role and how by reading that those expectations, it's not even the full job description, but just the expectations, I get a sense of what every day at work is going to be like and who I'm going right. to be. And I can see that, wow, this would be good for my career. I'm going to feel professional. I'm going to feel like I'm working towards something that matters um, rather than just like a, a set of rules that I've got to follow in order to get a paycheck. So, you know, I didn't expect to be on this quite at this level on this, but it is a good place. What you said about what employees want and keeping that in mind, you, they need to do what you need to be done, but you have to pay attention to what employees want. Yeah. And Daniel Pink said it some years ago, that everybody wants autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy means uh, they don't want to be micromanaged and they're not a machine that you're just squeezing the trigger on a power drill. They, they want autonomy, make some decisions at the appropriate level. Mastery is they want something that they that is challenging to them that they can improve on at the appropriate level. Don't bring in a, a guy and expect him to do nuclear physics in the next month, but there's an appropriate level where they can grow and they're aware of it. And the last one is they need purpose. Why am I doing this? And what I always tell people is, if for no other reason, they're doing it to help their buddies, meaning their coworkers. Yeah. I'm upholding my part because if you fail to do something, what you're really saying is, I don't need to do it, Khalil will, <laughs> right? But those three things, and if you can intertwine them into the job description, and they're just, I love the way that you just read that list off. You are itemizing duties, but you're doing it in a way that provides all three of those autonomy, showing autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, as we, you know, there's many ways to use job descriptions, but I think to sum that up, it's primarily as a way for you to understand all of the roles and functions of your business being accomplished inside of your org chart, but also as a way for you to properly evaluate, manage, hire, um, and uh, perform all the duties in your company on a, on a regular basis. Uh, it's when you have all these things outlined, there's such a clear picture for you of what your company does and how it's going to fulfill your vision. 
and it just makes hiring way easier. It makes employee reviews way easier, and it just gives you a roadmap, essentially. So I want to go into the next part of how-tos, number eight of getting organized. And uh, for how-tos, we're talking about systems, standard operating procedures, step-by-step instructions, uh, very detail-oriented things. And really, you don't see a lot of this done. And, you know, taking a step back as we think about an organized business, I think a really good way of measuring how organized a business is, is how urgent, how many, how many of the tasks and projects they do have high levels of urgency. If everything is urgent, then there's really low organization, because you're not able to be prepared and plan ahead and all that stuff. So I think the how-tos really help with that level of urgency. An example for people uh, listening that are business owners, we've all had that experience where something urgent happens and we get pulled away from the important and we don't really feel confident delegating it. Uh, and it really has, is going to require our time. And I think the, th- the value of a how-to is not just in the day-to-day, but it's in those moments where the urgent pops up and you can delegate it and reference a how-to and have complete confidence that it's going to get done right. And I think even for myself, one of the biggest challenges of delegation sometimes is that I don't feel like, I feel like if I delegate it, it's not going to get done to the standard that I want sometimes. And so I have to go and thoroughly delegate by making a Loom video or doing a how-to in the moment to let someone do that. And that's fine if that's the process you're in of developing your how-tos and that's how you're going to create them. And those things will come up. But if that's happening every single day, you're just not organized. And delegation becomes so much easier when you have these how-tos in place. Some how-tos are really simple. And I think that they, that they do continue. But as you go along and create them, the burden to keep doing it should go down yeah. because you've already done that right. But a how-to can be just as simple as how to enter a customer name in Builder Trend. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I literally, I don't know how to do it. Sure. So if somebody comes over and say, how do I do it? And they show me and I can do it right then. And then I don't do it for two weeks and I got to ask again. Well, if you write the instructions down or do a Loom video yeah. and I can just go look at it and go, oh, that's right. I forgot to click this. Yeah. It can be as simple as having your guys on the job uh, logging in on their phones, right? Geofence mm-hmm. time clock. How do you do that? Right? Yeah. When is it supposed to be done? So some how-tos are really, really simple. You use them a lot of times just when somebody's new or maybe as a refresher, but you've got that figured out and it's sitting over there. Some are more intricate. Uh, doing takeoffs yeah. right, might be more dif- difficult, and that's because you might be doing a lot of different kinds of takeoffs. Right. Right. Might be structure, might be cabinets, might be finishing, might be a lighting takeoff. You know, so um, I, I don't think the it's when you expand the bullet points. Right. Exactly. You said you are going to do takeoffs. That's one. How many words is that? I don't know. But that's one bullet point in your job description. A how-to shows them how to do that. Yeah. And it won't cover everything because there are just too many ways, but it gives them the idea, the baseline to begin doing it with instructions. Yeah. And if if the if you change from Builder Trend to some other software, well, you got to change your instructions. Right? That's the joy, isn't it? No, I, I think yep. with as you think about training employees, obviously how-tos add a lot of value. When you have your job descriptions, it kind of sets your your agenda for the training. And then you've got to go and do the training. But when you have the how-tos, it is the training. You have the agenda from the job description, but then you have all the how-to videos or you know required reading of lists that they need to go through to understand it. And then it sets, you know, for the person that is doing onboarding and training your new employee, it allows you to go through and, and do each and every one with the new hire. Right. I think for most companies, a video of doing it is sufficient. You don't need to sit there and write a manual from start to finish. And that's daunting. But with small businesses, the amount of change that you go through and uh, the amount of times that manual actually will be read are so little, I would just do a video, is my opinion. Whether it's software or it's you you out in the field and just recording a video on your iPhone and then 
publishing it as a link. Uh, those will work. And I think Jeff Finney is a great example of this. We've had him on the show. Um, and I think you can even go to his YouTube channel and see some of these videos. I think he just has them live uh, for everybody to watch. But he's a cabinet maker in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and every single process for every single every every SOP for every product they build has a video of someone doing it. And if you go up to a machine inside of his cabinet shop, there's a QR code, you can scan it and it pulls up the video and you can watch how to use that machine for every single type of product that goes to that machine. Right. And yeah, that took some time, but it didn't take, I mean, I can't imagine what it would take for him to write a full manual on doing all that. It's not the same amount of time. So yeah. If a picture's worth a thousand words, a video's worth what a hundred million, right? <laughs> Depends how how, how long the video frames is. Are. You're right, right. Yeah, but I think I think also with these how tos, it can become a really daunting task. Um, we've talked about this in the past, but having checklists is really helpful when it comes to these how tos. And you describe checklists really well as not they are not two pages long checklists. It's like they're not instructions yeah. and, on how to do so it. So why don't you get give us the, your checklist spiel, Martin? I don't often ask for you to give us your spiel, but <laughs> to give us the checklist spiel. Well, I don't. I don't have that one just routinely memorized. But if bullet points are more or less the name, you have to manage the project, right? right? That, there's your bullet point. You're responsible for bringing this on budget, on time. Yeah, you know. Well, it, but, completely. But I think a big one that that's, you talk about is like when you're on the job, like when you when you get it to the to the truck, oh no, you have that team meeting, you have the four things that hey, is is the gas? No, that's that's where that's where I'm going. Okay. The, the the next step underneath that are some sub processes like monthly scrum meeting, right? right. Or not monthly tailgate meeting. Yeah. And then you have four or five things that are general topics that you discuss. I mean, there's a great book on it, uh, Checklist Manifesto. But anyway, that you discuss. So you sit there and say, for guys going to a job, say, do we have the address? And you're looking at four people, right? And four people have to go, yes, when if you don't, right? And you drive off and you don't have the address, what the hell? Uh, do we have the materials that we need? You know, do we have the key, uh, gate key, you know, what? Anyway, uh, there will be four or five, at most 10, I mean, four or five yeah. general areas that you touch on with everybody's attention every morning. Do we have the safety equipment? Do we have gas for the generators? Uh, but or, you wouldn't say, do I have gas for the generators? Or, do we have the generator? Do I have gas? Do I have the legion? Are the generators ready to go? Right. And it's not just you looking, it's everybody looking. Yep. And something about that group effort. So that's an intermediate step. Yep. Uh, where you use checklists to remind you. And, of course, any project manager understands checklists probably better than anybody yeah. else. I don't know what they teach when they teach that as they do in construction management, but it has to be. It's got to be somewhere. You know, it's just got to be check, check. What's the story of the surgeon that, like, reduced surgery? Oh, that's in that book. That's in that book. Um, it was something like he. there was one question that they would ask. And it's like 80%. Well, they had. Maybe four. I don't know. What? Well, I had I broke my thumb here a year or two ago, and surgeon comes in, and I know the guy, and we're just talking, you know. And all the while, he pulls my hand out from under the covers, and he goes, "This is a thumb, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And he signed his name on it. And they do that. I've had two other surgeries with this guy, and he signed my shoulder and he signed my hip, right? So, like, really, you're gonna? He said, "Hey, it happens, right? <laughs> Simple. Simple, but that's one of their processes." Yeah. In that book, uh, Checklist Manifesto is about reducing uh, iatrogenic deaths, the deaths caused by being in the hospital. Mm. Uh, and it was childbirth, all these things. When they put the checklist in on certain things, they reduced the deaths by like 85, 86%. It's crazy. And he gives lots of examples about they have to have a bag of blood of the right type. And he tells me about this guy. Well, if I hit an artery, we're going to need it. I'm not going to hit an artery. Well, this lady, one of the nurses says, I don't think so. And they checked, and they had the wrong blood type. They went and got the right blood type, and he sliced into an artery, and they needed it. And if they hadn't had it, the guy would have died. That's crazy. Right? So, Possible scare me, man. Anyway, it's that, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah just simple five-minute checklist where everybody who's on the team just says, yes, we do, yes, we do. 
And if you don't, there's a shared responsibility. Yeah. Shared group pressure. Like, what the hell, guys? Yeah. Nobody noticed the generator wasn't on the truck, and I asked the question. Yeah. Well, and I think right. even just by thinking through that checklist before doing your how-tos, it really makes you think about the areas that are really important that can even be overlooked in a how-to. Because the checklist, if you really think about it, gives you the why behind each. Like, hey, do we have the generator? Do we, is the generator ready? Well, there's a lot of things that involve there, but why do we need the generator ready? Well, because power could go out or we don't have supply here and then we can't do the job. We've got to come back and get all this stuff, whatever it is. Then you can go into your how-to with a lot of clarity when you're discussing and you're making the video and walking around the job. You don't just reference something. You say, hey, these are the five really important areas of this and why they matter, and here's how you're going to do it. And I think that's always valuable for people when they're watching a how-to, not just to watch you going through a process, but to understand why the process matters, what's critical to understanding the process, and then going into the how to actually go through the process. So. Um, Well, let's, let's go into our last area. Uh, this is one that is really exciting and, uh, it's, it's the last one for a reason because it does require a lot of legwork to get to this point. It doesn't have to, but typically if you want to be running your business from an iPad and just looking at a dashboard and following some KPIs, key performance indicators, there's actually some work that needs to be done to be able to get to that point. And a lot of it revolves around setting a foundation for your books, having software in place that people are using regularly, keeping up to date. Uh, You had three really good points about KPIs. Maybe I'll let you talk about them and not steal from you. Tell me what they were. (laughs) Meaningful, easily trackable, and current. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Hey, man, I'm a pretty smart guy. (laughs) No, we were, that's what I would have said again. First of all, a dashboard is KPIs. Yeah. That's that's what it is. I mean, whenever whether you got a little speedometer on there or got a graph or chart or whatever, it is KPIs. Uh, they're meaningful KPIs when you use them and you look at them and, they, and you care about them. And that you look at them and care about them because they are an indication of a broader, uh, what's going on on a more broad sense in your business, right? Uh, Gary Collins wrote the book, Good to Great, and he said that the uh, it's a real famous book. Probably many of our listeners have read it. But you said Gary Collins? Six things that Jim, Jim Collins. Collins. I think you said Gary. Yeah. It's Jim Collins. I know who Gary Collins is. I don't know who Gary Collins is. Who is Gary who, Collins? Well, he's a pilot. Oh. He used to write. <laughs> anyway, Jim Collins. Okay. There, there we go. A long time ago, he used to write uh, articles on flying. Uh But he sets out the things that distinguish highly successful businesses from their competitors. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of really interesting ones, but one of the most important is what he calls, they have a meaningful, powerful, key denominator. That's what he calls them. But that's a KPI. uh, KPIs are usually expressed as something per something, like dollars per hour or or, uh, square foot per cubic yard. I mean, it's some ratio. And he's, I'll just give an example. The one he gave in the book was uh, CVS. And who's the pharmacy company that went away? Eckerd's. Oh, Eckerd's. You remember Eckerd's? I do remember Eckerd's. Eckerd's, well, see, we're having to say, do you remember them? And I had a hard time remembering the name. <laughs> They're gone. They are, right? yeah. Well, they were well, acquired by CVS, I, I believe. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was CVS or Walgreens who had the competing philosophy, but CVS wanted profit per store. That's how they manage, measured the success. That's how they measured their managers, profit per store. Walgreens or CVS, the other one, measured profit per customer. Okay, those two philosophies, when you're coming up with them, you say, I don't know, they both sound valid, they both might work, but in reality, the profit per customer caused Walgreens and CVS to behave differently. They will have stores. We we have probably three within two miles of where I sit, CVS stores. Right. So they weren't worried. If you're worried about a store problem or measuring by stores, you don't want one a mile away because they'll cannibalize the store sales. Right. If you're worried about profitability and getting the customers, you have them in all the convenient locations regardless of whether they cannibalize sales. And so... When they set out with that philosophy, who knew? Well, it turns out 
CVS or Walgreens, can't remember which one, was right and Eckerd's was wrong and Eckerd's is gone. Now there are probably other contributing factors, but I thought that was a great, uh, a great example. Yeah. For, for our listeners, there's something you care about. I mean, cash in the bank is a key performance indicator, right? Mm-hmm. House, but, but th- that's one you're going to track anyway. What is important to you? Uh, that, so if you know, if you have a KPI, I have cash in the bank. That's a very interesting, very important KPI. But all it tells you is that I have cash in the bank. Doesn't say anything about anything else. So I don't consider that a powerful KPI. Mm-hmm. Okay. A more powerful KBI, KPI tells you more than just the information it gives you. It, it gives you an indication. In, for this KPI to be at this level, a whole lot of things got to be going right. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a great one uh, by a guy named Greg, Greg Crabtree. Simple numbers, big profit, something he wrote a book. He's, it's really good. He's, he's an accountant, wrote a good book. But one of the things that he talks about is a salary cap. It's a concept he puts out there. So what's a salary cap? Well, salary cap is, let's just take your gross profit, your total gross profit, and divide it by the total cost of labor, right? Yeah. So if you have $100, $100 worth of gross profit and $50 worth of labor, your salary cap, or you're, you're earning $2 for every dollar of labor that you put in. Mm-hmm. Right? That's pretty good. Well, the way you can use that if you monitor that is let's say you hire a new employee, and now all of a sudden you're still getting uh, $2 worth of gross profit, but your labor cost, instead of being a dollar, is a dollar and a half. Your salary cap has dropped below two to one. And I know I changed the numbers there uh, from 50 cents to a dollar. But uh, that is logical because you bring in new people. They raise the labor cost, but they're new and they're not well integrated into the company or maybe you don't have the sales to support them yet. And all of a sudden, your revenue doesn't keep up. You're not earning $2 for every dollar you spend. Well, his concept, Greg Crabtree's concept is I don't hire more people until I get my my ratio back up to two dollars of gross profit for every dollar of labor. Yeah. So that's a management tool. It tells you a lot of things, like your labor is becoming less efficient. It's giving you a target. It's giving you a principle to run on. Saying I want my labor capital, my labor cap to at least be at least two to one. I want to make at least two dollars of gross profit. Yeah. For every dollar I spend on labor. And you monitor that and you can see what's going on. Well, I really like the, that's a really great ratio and it is meaningful. Um, but I really like those three things that you say, meaningful, easily trackable and current because they really highlight why this is the last step of getting organized and not the first. Because if something's going to be meaningful, you have to have a clear understanding of what you're doing, why you're doing it and how you're going to do it. If it's going to be meaningful to you, um, but also, if it's going to be meaningful to each employee, it needs to di- tie directly not only to your vision, but into their job description and what they're responsible for. So if you're going to have a KPI for a specific employee or department or role on your team, it's got to tie directly to what their tasks are in a meaningful way. Um, then as you go into easily trackable, that gets into something that you're probably using a system or a software to be able to track it. And it's got to be accessible and it's got to be implemented and trained on company-wide for people to be able to track that. And so that's something that you have to do before getting to the KPI step. And then lastly, it has to be current. It means that it's something that's happening regularly and up-to-date, up-to-the-minute or moment uh, tracked. And it's not enough just to have, yeah, we purchased the software. And so we should be able to track that. That's the biggest lie that people face inside of software is that they're going to have all these KPIs and be able to make decisions off of data. But that's not a software thing that allows you to do that. Sure, it's the tool that finally shows that to you, but it's actually the habit and the routine of using the software by everyone in your company uh, properly that allows you to stay current. A great example is books. You've written a book on this, The Profit Problem. Um, but 
without books, you're not going to know your numbers. And without current books, you're not going to be able to have meaningful KPIs. Um, so that that's a foundational thing. There, there are, it, it is foundational, especially if you're ever going to relate activities to profitability. But some KPIs do not require directly books. In other words, hours, man hours. You, you know, that's not in the book. I'm not disagreeing with what sure. you said. I'm supplementing it. Um, sales calls made. Sure. Yeah, right? that doesn't require Conversion books. rate. And, well, but it does yeah. require uh, actively but tracking But you need it. the information. Yeah. Oh, you've yeah. got to keep you've track about the information. Who are we talking to? Uh, just Timothy Wingate, who I think is the next episode, even though we've already recorded it, uh, talked about the uh, really great episode, by the way. Listen to it after this one comes out. Um, yeah. But he talked about business owner just getting texts from his employees of what their hours were for the week and then adding right. them all up. And like, that's not tracking it. That's not keeping things current. That's not easily trackable for you as a business owner. You're sitting there tallying all this stuff. I mean, it's just a mess. So having that system in place is, is super valuable and that should come before the KPIs are trying to be tracked. Yeah. I want to go through some other meaningful ones. You gave the salary cap um, uh, KPI. Uh, we've talked in the past a lot about builders having a days to finish, uh, days to completion on a project. Uh, and tracking that religiously because it's super helpful. Well, one on that, that's an interesting. That's a really interesting one because it brings three points. Okay, <clears throat> one is don't have too many KPIs. Okay, <laughs> uh, a client of mine has more KPIs than you can shake a stick at. I mean, we're talking fifty to seventy-five, and me, I'm always loath to say don't track that anymore. But I look at the whole darn thing, I go, there's so much here. It's too much. I mean, everything's a ratio of something else. And what is meaningful, right? Yeah. Well, we this this man is a builder. And what we really worked on and distilled things down to, he still has all the information. You know, land cost as a percentage of the sale price and just all kinds of things. What we really distilled it down to was build time. Yeah. Uh, in the, over the last three or four years, the most important factor in home building profitability was how fast you got that sucker built and sold. Yeah. Right. And that was always the challenge because of COVID and the supply and all that stuff, supply yeah. chain management. But you can have too many. And what we did with him was he still tracks those, but we really concentrated on build times. Well, the world has changed since we were concentrating on build times. Interest rates have gone up, sales prices have gone down, and now we concentrate on something a little different, and it's the cash uh, cash flow. So right. maybe we're looking at houses that have a significant amount of the builder's investment plus bank loan. You want the profitability when you sell the house, but if two houses have the same profit, one's going to release twice as much cash, which one are you going to emphasize? Which one are you going to finish first? Yeah. And so now we're looking at that, it, more than build times. Yeah. You know, we, we still want to make profit. We still want to hold our margins as much as we can. But now the important thing is cash and cash that's tied up in inventory. So where you are and what's important to you in large part determines what your KPI needs to be. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really valuable, you know, going back to job descriptions in each role, it's really valuable for each employee to have an understanding of what the main company KPIs are but really inside of their role or department, knowing what the KPIs are. Um, you know, just like for a salesperson, knowing what they're supposed to close or the amount they're supposed to quote each month is extremely valuable. It allows them to keep score. It allows them to know how they're doing and to just have a really quick evaluation by looking at one number, or two numbers, right? So right. Ha having that for each role is extremely valuable. And we talked, we've talked about in several episodes as far as like why people leave roles and companies and it's sure it can be a toxic workplace and all that stuff but the number one response typically for why they leave reason for why they leave a position is because of unclear expectations and that right. kpi really provides not full clarity but more than more than enough clarity and oftentimes of what's expected and so really defining that as you're working on your as you have finished your kpis going back and going into your job description and setting that kpi as an extremely valuable process so other KPIs that are meaningful um, that we can just touch on briefly, we have so many episodes about margin and break even and um, 
really those financial KPIs. Go and listen to those. We'll reference a couple of them. Uh, financial Statements Made Easy was a series that we did with several different parts where we go through the three financial statements. Um, and uh, yeah, no, knowing your margin is so yeah. valuable. And, and for our audience, labor per something. Yeah. Because labor is where you're is where you're getting hit. And it's not because they're screwing you. <laughs> Some of them might be, yeah. but it's not. that's not why. Tim talks about it in the next episode. Uh, scheduling is one of the most important yep. things. But So it's not blame when you say my labor per square yard of concrete or my uh, labor per linear foot of manufactured cabinets. You're not out attacking your people by tracking that, but you're finding where the inefficiencies are. And it just... There, there will probably be some cost overruns in materials and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you always screw that up. But labor's where the opportunity is. I mean, we've got many, many episodes where we talk about it. So you need to know labor buys something. Uh, labor, per, Like I said, labor per square foot or labor per linear foot. But some metric that you can look at and measure yeah. and understand. Absolutely. I think on the sales side, I think sales are a very important aspect if you have your margin right. If you don't have your margin right hold your sales because you're probably losing money uh, when you yeah. sell a job and digging a further hole for yourself. But if you do have that margin right, having understanding of sales and the forecast of your sales is really helpful. So yeah, leads is a really good metric. Uh, if you have a really good qualified defi- or def- definition of a qualified lead or qualified opportunity for your company, understanding that's really valuable. Um, but then you know something that we're doing right now with a uh, service company is just understanding their quotes that you know, we know that their conversion rate on quotes is between 25 and 30% given, you know, depending on the season. And so they just need to focus on the amount they're quoting each month. And that salesperson is focused on getting those quotes out the door. Um, and a lot of times the fast, we, we notice that the conversion rate uh, increases at least double if they get the quote sent within 10 minutes of the appointment ending, right? And so just being able to track that stuff is really valuable. And so now we're... They, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known. Wouldn't and so known. just by going and understanding the amount quote sent, or the amount of quotes sent each week gives us a really good idea for not just sales, but also what our service department and operations right. is going to be doing the next week, if it's going to be a busy week or not, and how they should schedule, et cetera. But then also by tracking the, the, the times sent of the quotes is really valuable for the salespeople to understand. And so then you create a new process and we increase our conversion rate just from that. But anyways, that's, those are just, those are some good ones. There's so many others that you can think about. Um, I know for some companies that have more internal staff, they look at how much time was spent in internal meetings um, because that oftentimes is a time suck for them. Uh, And so they, they track their meetings uh, that are internal and how much time each week they spend in internal meetings. And they try to keep that number below three. Um, so that's another KPI that you may focus on for your office staff or something like that, just to make sure they're getting their job done, they're staying ahead of projects, they're talking to more clients, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's different for each one. I think as long as you can tailor a KPI to a role, and then for you as the guy, as the you know guider or guiding function of your business, um, like you said, you know, sometimes less is more. And I think KPIs is definitely one of those. It kind of reminds me of coaching a little bit. You know, whenever I I have a process that I go through when I coach soccer and uh, the day before games, I'll give a lot of points, 15, 20. Um, And if you think of those as KPIs, uh, key points that I'm trying to make, that's actually a lot to focus on, especially for an athlete. I've got these 20 things that I've got to really think about. That's that's a lot. But I try to do that the day before games just to kind of set the tone and give people an idea of where we're going, what we need to be aware of. And it's really that full, broad picture that's comprehensive in nature. But then when we get to game day and when we get to a halftime of a game or right before a game, I'm giving usually two points max. I'll, I will focus on two themes, and that's the only thing I will touch on. After the game, I will do a comprehensive review of everything. I'll go through all the points that I really had the urge to make beforehand and at halftime. I'll say all those things at the end of the game. But in the game, I'm focusing on two things max. 
Usually it's one, but sometimes it's two. Yeah. And usually they're correlated to each other, so they're really easy to remember. And it's amazing how well that works for the guys to understand. I can ask them multiple times, what are we focused on today? And they know those two points by heart, right? Yeah. Really, and so, and I think that, and you won the state championship last year. We did, and you're likely to do it again. We're this trying year. to repeat, or at least we're you're in we're a, trying to repeat. But I think the the value in that is, as you work with your team, if you're sitting there talking about all these different KPIs, it gets confusing really fast. Yeah. Um, but if you're just focused on that one or those two KPIs, it gives them a really good sense of direction and and where they stand. And so, knowing where you stand is so valuable because it it lets you course correct it allows you to uh have a really good focus and feel like it's possible to achieve that those yep. one or two things and a, a quick way to think of, about it as we're wrapping up is that you have at least one meaningful kpi for the four areas of business yeah. okay leadership uh we'll get to that in just a second but accounting and sales leads generates close you yeah. know percentages uh your operations it can be percent budget it can be completed on time it can be whatever is a meaningful kpi administrative stuff of course we're into margins and finance and all that uh for leadership i just thought of one uh delegation we i did a kpi a few years ago with a guy he said people drive me crazy they're asking me questions so i bought him a clicker on uh amazon yeah well, and he had it in his pocket one of those counter clickers I said, just every time somebody walks in your door and asks you a question, it could be anything. Just click that button. And we had, I don't remember, it's been a long time, but he reduced it by more than half over a period of about a month and a half. But he had an objective. Mm -hmm. He had this clicker in his pocket that he reset, and he'd get, he'd get 300 questions a day. Well, you know our saying about it takes 20 minutes to recover back to where you were in a difficult task after an interruption. We're well, getting 300 questions. You're doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, none of your own work. So, yeah. I, I, okay, sir. Do we have any KPIs for our uh, podcast? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Diane's listening and Powell's listening. That's about it. Uh, yeah. No. I don't know about Diane. <laughs> Not, you I feel can't good about your wife to I feel listen? good about Powell. <laughs> oh, she says she does, but she doesn't pay attention. That's great. No, I does. think, you know, as we wrap up the KPI section and wrap up this podcast, I would say, at the end of the day on the KPIs, if you can really help your team understand a KPI that ties to revenue directly for them individually, I think as an employee, understanding how you impact the overall health of the business and the profitability of the business, the the clearer you feel about your role and how you're contributing to the overall company. So, And obviously make it tie to vision and all those things, but tie it to revenue. Uh, too many times there's KPIs that aren't clear why this ties to revenue. Uh, for your company or profitability. And so if the more you can do that, the better. Um, and then have rewards and bonuses for these KPIs. That's not something we talked about, but set goals on KPIs. And then if they're reached, reward people for it. Um, so yeah, I think this was a really good series. I hope people enjoyed it. Um, should I recap the nine, Martin, or no, they've got it. Oh, I'm sure they've got it, but I bet it you could recap them for me. Oh, for you. Okay. I'm not sure. I All know. right. So vision, mission, culture, v goals, org chart systems, job descriptions, how-tos, KPIs. If there's some, obviously you can listen to these episodes as much as you want. Um, and if you feel like this is valuable for anybody, please share it with them. I, we'd, I'd really love to know questions. If we, if you feel like we miss an area of an organized business or, you know, something that, you thinking about organizing your business that wasn't listed, we'd love to hear and maybe even do a bonus episode on. Shoot us, me or Martin, an email. Our emails are in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and yeah, I hope that this is helpful for people and know that this isn't going to happen in nine days or nine weeks or maybe even nine months. It's a, it's a long journey. It's a marathon. So, uh, and hey, there's tornadoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we may all get wiped out again this evening, and then who cares? <laughs> well, even in your business, there's tornadoes. There's events that are just, yeah. you, it makes it hard to do these things and, and know that the tornadoes are out there, um, and an organized business will be better at withstanding them, but don't get your head down just because the tornado came and wreaked havoc again, and I can't focus, and now I'll get back 
get focused again and try to organize your business. So, Martin. Thank you, sir. See you next time. Appreciate you. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.